Non, c'est ce que je disais. Oui, moi, s'évader, c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. The time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No! I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel in the Sun. Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. Michelangelo Antonioni. Hi everybody, welcome to the Film Was Me podcast, episode 32. I'm your host, Bianca Garner, deputy editor for filmotomy.com. And today we'll be going to be discussing Meryl Streep's birthday, uh, which is coming up on the 22nd of June. So happy birthday, Meryl, if you're li- listening, which I hope you are. <laughs> no matter how much you try to um, imagine what this is like, it's just so incredibly thrilling right down to your toes. We'll be discussing um, her career, what makes her one of the best actresses of this of our generation uh, and how she's remained at the top. And we'll also be discussing what's the current state of um, female roles in um, Hollywood and why there is there's been a decline in um, female-led films from 2016 to 2017, which is quite a surprise. Joining me today, <laughs> guys, yes, I know, and Meryl Streep is joining us in spirit. I make so many mistakes in the sentences and... We've got a new podcast member t- today. Hi, Mark, how are you? I'm great, Bianca. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate the, the opportunity. I just want to give a shout out to your uh, website. What's your website address so people can find it? Oh, yeah. You can find our reviews. Um, you know, we cover basically DVD films, new releases, indies on uh, www.themoviebuff.net. Definitely check that out, guys, listening. And we're joined by my co deputy, Steve. Hi. Hello there. And last but not least, Rob Motto. Hi. I expect we've been watching some Meryl Streep movies this uh, last week. I, I actually was watching Sophie's Choice because I hadn't seen it uh, yet. And um, it, yeah, it was a really, really eye-opening experience. And I, I've never quite seen a performance like that from, <laughs> from Meryl Streep or really from anybody. So it was pretty incredible. Um, Steve, what was that? No, I said it's pretty amazing. Oh, yes. With 60 films to her name. That's an uh, impressive wow. um, CV there, or resume, as you Americans call it. <laughs> I know both. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, Meryl Streep has had uh, 21 nominations for Academy Awards. She's won three Oscars and has had 31 Golden Globes nominations. Mm which is very impressive. But um, why do you think she's, you know, so good at what she does? 
Uh, I mean, I think that it has to do definitely with her commitment to the character she plays. I, I, you know, and I mean, it depends obviously on the performance, how strongly that comes across. But I think certainly there are um, more than a handful of performances that are very strong and have her sort of deeply rooted in who her characters are. Mm -hmm. And just that, that sort of commitment to being being real and being true to you know what those what those people are are feeling in that moment yes i think it's strictly talent i mean <laughs> you can't you can't put it down to anything other than uh, genetics um that and the fact that the only time meryl makes the news except for the very odd exception is for her for her work mm. nothing else you don't see her in the tabloids mixed up in anything else ever like she's totally focused She's pretty much uh, she's a no bullshit worker. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think that that Rob makes is uh, you know that she uh, she definitely you know gives it all into her performance. I'd say you know definitely a method actress. But I think she also picks good roles. I mean, some of they're not all ultra serious, but a lot of them are. You know, but she can do anything from you know the Iron Lady to uh, you know uh, Death Becomes Her, <laughs> which is. Which is, uh, you know, I thought her performance in, in both of those were just, you know, fantastic. Yeah, she has a way of sort of adapting to whatever genre she's in, whether it be comedy or, you know, melodrama or, say, something like a, um, a cry in the dark or a romantic drama such as Out of Africa. She has a way of adapting is quite impressive. I don't really know any other actress who can do that sort of wide variety of different roles. No, and she Absolutely. always a strong character, usually, usually stronger than the, the, the actual film that surrounds that character. And if it's not a strong character, she makes it a strong character. The River Wild is one. Mm. Yeah, she's really good in that. That could have been just a very mediocre adventure film, but it was, it was Meryl, and then, of course... Uh, um, the Seduction of Joe Tynan. I don't know if any of you guys saw that. It was way back in the beginning of her career. It was a mm -hmm. tiny little film about, a, I think it was a political scandal type thing. She had a, a supporting role. She stole the picture. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, 1979. Yeah, I was thinking of, um, it's quite a um, silly film from when I was uh, pretty much like an early teenager, but the Lemony Snicket series of Unfortunate Events. She's very memorable in that. I think she plays like the um, orphan's aunt and who's afraid of water and is afraid of going outside. And it's, it's something that could have been quite forgettable, but I, I find it was a bit of a, a delight, an unexpected surprise to find her in this sort of kids movie. And even though she's clearly just doing it to have some fun, she still gives a great performance. And I think that's that's something that's very I admire her for that even a dog like uh, she devil did any of you see that <laughs> no sandbar <laughs> honestly I laughed my head off at Meryl she was so funny and she she is great at sort of getting into these comedy roles you know she can go from serious to funny as a sort of um, a reason why I suppose we really need to ask Meryl, but... Uh... An actor's only job is to enter the lives of people who are different from us and let you feel what that feels like. 
She can go from serious to funny within a split second. Look at the scene in uh, Sophie's Choice that you guys had just recently seen where she's describing the uh, suit that he's wearing. <laughs> and I wonder, why do we think that she's managed to stay at the top for so long, whereas other female actors from you know, her sort of generation have fallen yeah, I would say uh, just like talent. I think talent certainly keeps you at the top of people's lists, you know, when they're casting. And I mean, maybe her roles have changed from this, you know, the late seventies to the eighties to the nineties and whatever. But I really feel like she's just been a like considered a you know the sort of the best actress for in terms of casting. But yeah, I I, I mean, I would just point out that she, how talented she is. Yeah, I I think. Oh, like I said before, I, I think she can definitely adapt any role. I mean, she's nominated for both serious roles and uh, and comedic ones. But it looks like you know she's also willing to work with with any number of different people. I mean, if you look at something like uh, the Deer Hunter, you know, where she's working with you know De Niro and and Walken, you know, and then doing a movie like The Devil Wears Prada, you know, working with a you know younger talent um and not always having to it doesn't seem like she saves herself just for the best pictures but like you said before she'll she'll give any role her all and make minor roles you know rememberable which i think is is a sign of a of a of a good actress definitely in her case a great actress the only downside to her talent and considerable as it is is the fact that she's only got three oscars yeah, should have a lot, but she's been competing with herself. Like other actresses compete with the other actresses in the category. Meryl is always competing with Sophie's Choice. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the best though. I mean, like Pacino only has one Oscar, right? <laughs> right. So, some of the the best to get. I mean, she's got so many nominations that it's astounding, you know. Yeah, I, I feel as well. It, it's less about the Academy. Uh, acknowledging you and more about the the public and and she's continued to be popular with with the public and and still you know people still go to see her films well she's a guaranteed she's she's a she her delivery is guaranteed you know what you're going to get you know you're going to get something worthwhile yeah yeah you you know that you will uh, even if the the rest of the movie isn't so great, you know you, that she will deliver a, a strong performance. Unlike other actresses of her era, who were more relied relied more on their looks and attractiveness rather than you know taking roles that were probably a bit more I don't want to say below them, but you know not so glamorous. So, you know, roles that could have been, you know, which might have put some of them off. Uh, well, you know, the story behind uh, Dino De Laurentiis' King Kong, she was turned down because she was too ugly. So they took Jessica Lange instead. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I'm going to lose my temper now. I, you know, and I also feel like early on in her career, she had these two pictures that were kind kind of hit socially, um, Kramer versus Kramer and, and Sophie's Choice. I mean, I think both of those movies sort of resonated, you know, not not just with women, but but yeah, I mean, I especially think that, that she is definitely because, you know, because of those performances, almost an iconic performer. 
I came here to take my son home. And I realized he already is home. Yeah, and she stayed there. She stayed in those roles like uh, Karen Blixen out of Africa and uh, in Devil Wears Devil War Prada. Mm-hmm. She just always has always managed to stay at the top. You picked up on a good point there with uh, Kramer versus Kramer. I, I think that came at a, a time where women were sort of, you know. Re- they could relate to that because they were going through the same thing you questioning why she's doing this but then you you realize that she's pretty much not had uh you know her own space to to live her life and i think Mm -hmm. that's something that many women could relate to you know in the 70s you know with the rise of of second wave feminism yeah and meryl wrote some of that uh script too her part I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. So it, it was coming straight from the heart. Um, guys, I just want to know what your sort of favorite Stroop role is. Mark, if we go, I'm going to pick on you because you're new. So what's your, <laughs> no, it's your, your moment, your Sophie's Choice. What's your favorite uh, Meryl Streep performance? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. I did I did vote on <laughs> I did vote on um, your your website for some. I have to admit that I haven't seen as many as you guys. I don't think something like uh, either Iron Lady or Bridges of Madison County. Mm. Um, you know, for for uh, for for comedy, I still you know uh, I mentioned it before. Death becomes her. It just it was such a caught it on TV. Didn't even think I was going to enjoy it, and just she you know. Just catapulted and made me just so, so utterly humorous to me. And she, yeah, I think what I love about that film is that she really sort of lets loose. It's almost like she lets lets her hair down and sort of chews up the scenery. It's very sort of uh, over the top, but not in a ridiculous Nicolas Cage type of way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I th- no, I think you're right. I think what works about that film is that they they make the the, you know the special effects and the gore is just is just so utterly over the top that it it makes it humorous because neither one of them you know can die and like <laughs> like, like we like we mentioned or you guys mentioned before it's like you know uh, they they are really the lead um, whereas uh, you know Bruce Willis is just kind of this guy like feckless <laughs> uh, background noise in the entire film so it's I you know, actually forgot all about that he was even. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. So you you were saying that in movies that she's in, she they she the the female leads tend to be more powerful, and this is a good example, I think. Mm. And um, it is interesting. That Goldie Horn is her sort of co-star in that. And where is Goldie Horn now? It's you know it's it's quite a shame because she was you know in the late eighties, early nineties, she was everywhere, and now is pretty much I. I don't remember the last film that she's been in, which which is a shame. But somehow, yeah, me either. Beryl, ha, you know, has managed to stay at the top. Um, Steve, what about you? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote with uh, Meryl on this one. She said it was the hardest job she ever had, and that would be Angels in America, where she played four roles. Wow. <laughs> she plays a she plays a Mormon mother. She plays a rabbi. She plays. A, it's just an amazing. An amazing range. 
and the rest of the cast played multiple roles as well. But I mean, Meryl is just outstanding in that. And then it would have to be uh, her Amanda Priestley and then Sophie are my other two favorites. Mm, I was about to say, um, playing four roles must be quite demanding. And um, the fact that she managed, I just think when someone talks about um, multiple roles by one star, I think of something like Halloud Atlas, which kind of falls apart because, you know, I think people bit off more than they could chew with that movie. But um, the, I'll be quite intrigued to, to look at that one. Um, you should dig it. Mike, Mike Nichols directed it. Uh, Emma Thompson is in it as well. Oh, yes. Okay. Right. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> she's fantastic, Emma Thompson. Yes, yeah. And again, I think she's cut from the same cloth as, as someone like Meryl Streep. She can easily adapt to different roles. She's very sort of stayed relevant. She picks and chooses, um, you know, films that I think matches her capability and uh, her talent. So she's definitely a, a great actress, but probably. And I think it requires a certain steeliness in your personality too mm. to be on that much public scrutiny for that long. Like how many years is that for Meryl? 40 years acting in front of the public? <sighs> yeah. And that's crazy. What about, I can't talk 15 minutes in the public. <laughs> I could barely, barely do this podcast for an hour. <laughs> then I fall apart. <laughs> uh, what about you, Rob? What, what's your favorite street performance? Uh, my, my favorite Meryl Street performance is her uh, role in Doubt. Um, the 2008 movie uh, where she plays a Catholic school principal. I have such doubts. And I just thought her scenes, especially with Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, were just so powerful. And so uh, she's just so committed in that performance to, you know, this sort of black and white view of a situation. And not sort of just not um, not really there's really no gray to that character. So I just um, yeah, I really liked I really liked that a lot. It was my favorite performance. That is a, I found that a very hard film to watch. Um, yeah. In terms of its tone and um, its subject matter. But it, it's, it's one of those films that you must watch. You have to sort of seek it out. I think all of the performances are in that film are amazing from you know Hoffman to Amy Adams I've obviously spoken about on Twitter and I uh, recently did the article about the the lack of female film critics I thought I just mentioned that Pauline Kael um, was a a very big fan of Meryl Streep's performance in The Deer Hunter uh, and, and spoke about it extensively when when it first came out and um, she described Street's performance as uh, something that brought freshness to the film and called her a real beauty. You know, to have that sort of support from um, a great film critic such as Kale uh, and to be recognised by that. But make no mistake, the American people are terrified. They know something's coming. They can feel it. To be championed... Uh, because there's some great performances in that, that film from the male leads, and to sort of be singled out. 
and we can either shovel them the same old shit and call it sugar, or we can arm them. But I think Kill nailed it by call, by noticing her freshness. <clears throat> now back then it was pretty easy because she was fresh, yeah. but she's brought that freshness to every role. To every uh, some of the roles could have been totally cliched, mm -hmm. and yet each time you watch her, it's like you you're you're meeting this character for the first time. We can give them heat, energy, give them a war hero with heart, forged by enemy fire in the desert in the dark. We're going to be discussing strong female leads in, in films. What did you say, 2016 to 2017 wasn't that great for strong female yeah. performances? Mm, well, uh, a study conducted which uh, by the Center for the Study of Women in Television and Film at the uh, San Diego State University. <sighs> That's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they they conducted a study over the top 100 grossing films released in America and just 24% of those films um, had a, a leading female role. Which was, but you said top grossing, did you, right? Yes, I did. Hi, well, okay. probably 24% were any good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and these are commercial films, basically. I mean, the yeah. movies that make the most money are not necessarily the best. I mean, no, um, that's true. So, but, but, you know, so like, and, and I mean, we saw that last year just with like how many of the, um, you know, how many of the nominees were actually like high grossing movies. You know, I don't, I actually don't know. But, um, yeah. but anyway, yeah, I, I wanted to point that out real quick. Oh, no, no. Well, that's one of the things that they bring up in mm. in the study. But what was shocking that uh, this was actually down 5% from 29% back in 2016. Mm -hmm. So it's down 5% in one year of all the wow. films that were in the, the highest grossing films of 2016. And that was with Wonder Woman? Yeah. And I, yeah. Wow. I I had to reread that quite a few times. I was like, no, that that can't be right. That can't be right. But apparently it is. And thirty percent of these films featured um, had only uh, ten or more female characters with lines actually spoken in the film. Uh, the other films didn't even have female characters with more than a couple of lines to say. So basically well, the, the dialogue was, was delivered by men. The cause of that... <laughs> all, I mean, we, we, talk about how <laughs> we talk about how there should be more female directors and writers, but we need more females behind the money because that's who puts the, gets the stuff into the theaters. So Hollywood is crawling with outsiders and foreigners. And if we kick them all out, you'll have nothing to watch but football and mixed martial arts, which are not the arts. We mentioned some of these Meryl Streep films. I think that we're, I'm hoping at least you're going to find more and more of these films of women being in, in, you know, or rather women being able to, you know, look at a screen and see themselves represented in a powerful role. You know, the same thing with, uh, minority, uh, some of the minority populations, and it seems like the trend has started increasing this year. Mm. And I, I can only hope that, that that continues. I mean, I think there's this push and pull between, 
But do you think they're going in the right direction? Because they seem to be <clears throat> they seem to be uh, modeling both for minorities, visible minorities, and for women, modeling the films that they're going to break out in after established male-dominated films. Like you've That's got a good point. To Ocean's Eight. Yeah. Right? That's not the kind of um, that's not the kind of like market that I I I would want, you know, because it's sort of just like a copy, but putting you know putting different faces on it. Mm. That's not women are the audience (laughs) film, so that uh, in order to make make for stronger stronger female uh, presence on screen, they're going to have to make identifiable characters. Like I don't know, um, I actually didn't see Ocean's Eight yet. One of my my other critics did, but. If it's not great, that's I don't I don't think that's even the point. Like you know, if, no. if it's the point that they're you know women should be allowed to make these types of films, and if they succeed, well, wonderfully fine. If they, you know, come up with their criticism, that's that's fine too. It's just we need more of them. Well, I feel what we need. My thing, my issue is is not. It's the case that who is making these films is who's behind the camera, because. The Ghostbusters film that came out, right. uh, and Ocean's Eight, I believe, have both been directed by male directors. Now it's like right. Steve was saying that you know we need women to make the decisions. You know, the studio executives, the, the people with the money. That's um, right. Um, we need what what was refreshing about Wonder Woman was that it was directed by a woman, and I do think we could tell it was directed by a woman. A woman, because that the camera was. I I hate using the term male gaze, but I am going to use it because I felt like sometimes that when you watch a a film, a superhero movie, say I'm going to use the example of the Avengers and how Black Widow is portrayed. Okay, there is an obsession on her body on how the camera is angled and you know certain way that she is shot and it does look quite obvious that there oh this is a nice shot because her her you know she looks great in a really tight suit and everything and yeah whereas with wonder woman i didn't really see those that those camera angles you know at least i didn't pick up on it whereas mm-hmm. Chris Pine's character was shot the same in a way that a female character would be, you know, with with his shirt off. Uh, <laughs> yep, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know, which I thought, oh, okay, I see what they're doing here. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. He is, it, it's a nice sort of change. It's kind of funny in a way because he's a hapless kind of guy. It, who needs Wonder Woman to come to his, his rescue. And But it was done in a way where he wasn't just a passive character either. He had some development and backstory, which was refreshing. In those films, you're not going to get a lot of development. They're pretty two-dimensional. That's true, yes. Uh, straight from the source, which is two-dimensional. <laughs> I want to just point out a performance from this year that I, you know that I kind of want to see more of. I, I'd like to see more sort of transgressive 
female performances. Um, I, I saw Thoroughbreds earlier this year mm-hmm. that I thought it was incredible. Uh, yeah. I thought that <clears throat> Olivia Cook was just in- amazing, and Anya Taylor Joy was was really great too. <laughs> and just like you're trying to figure out the whole movie, you know what the motivations are really of each person, and it's just um, I'd really like to see more of that stuff. I mean, I know that's that's sort of on the indie level, um, but. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to just think, you know, just different, different kinds of performances, different kinds of, of movies featuring, you know, female characters uh, in hopefully places that they haven't been before. <laughs> yeah, like if, if, if Paul Thomas Anderson would make a make his next lead a, a woman, yeah. so we would have like a female equivalent to the Phantom Thread, that would be amazing. Mm. Well, in a way, I feel that Phantom, uh, Phantom Fred became more of a film that was dominated by the by the Alma character towards the yeah. end, where it, yeah. it did swap around and it became less about Woodcock and more about her character. Um, Mark, do you, yes. what has been your sort of favourite female uh, character that you've seen recently? It's a it's a difficult question, you know. And I, I honestly like went through this and I trying to think about, you know, uh, favorite favorite actress, you know, actors or actresses. I mean, we we had published, uh, you know, um, something on our website about you know five contemporary female performers. I mean, I uh, I, I like Jennifer um, Lawrence, um, you know, Kate Blanchett are some of my, of my favorites. I'm not sure how recently you. I mean, if you want me to go old, uh, <laughs> not not old, but like you know, um, one of my one, one of my favorite uh, movies that I have, that I've seen that has two of my favorite uh, actresses in it is um, a, a film called uh, Notes on a Scandal. I don't know if you guys have seen oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. With both Judy Dench and uh, um, and Kate Blanchett, which is just mm-hmm. you know, Judy, Judy Dench is one of my favorite actresses. I think she's absolutely. You know, fantastic, and I know she was in something last year, right? Uh, Murder in the Orient Express. You know, this particular film this is like you know, Dench just like you know, she kind of gets. I mean, I I think that she also has like they they even gave her um, somewhat of a or she gave the the film somewhat of a depth, even in the Bond, you know, series with uh with for or I'm um, sorry, uh, Daniel Craig. But you know, notes on the scandal, she just disappears into this character and it's just completely creepy and <laughs> um, yeah. bizarre and you know and like I said Blen- you know, her and Blanche have been two, two of my favorites you know all the way since dating back to like talented Mr. Ripley era yeah what a heavyweight bout that was too between Dench and Blanche on screen yeah in terms of those those um, characters that we you know like Rob was saying with like thoroughbreds and you were saying with mm. notes on a scandal those those female characters are very complex and I know I was saying about Wonder Woman and she is a two-dimensional character but <laughs> I prefer that one of my favourite film female-led uh, I guess female-led performances uh, would be uh, the character of Amy in Gone Girl um, mm. oh yeah mm-hmm. with Rosamund Pike and yeah. I, she is right, yeah. See, that's a character that I found was quite interesting, and the script was actually penned by the author of the book, uh, Gillian Flynn, who I believe is 
has mm-hmm. um, recently done the script for Steve McQueen's new movie. That looks amazing. Can I just say that's the type of film I want to see more of. That's uh, mm-hmm. you know that's what Ocean's Eight should be, right? Because the you know Widows looks like it's going to be quite a heisty type of movie without being which is fresh and original and isn't already part of an established um, franchise and I feel like a lot of these new female led films are playing on the fact that there's already like Steve was saying there's already been uh, the male equivalent set up look what Vail last year did to garner much in uh, attention once after it was released was The Beguiled, directed by a woman, loaded with female performers, mm-hmm. and it went yeah. nowhere. It just sort of died as the year went on. Well, perhaps that was because it was released too early. I don't know. He, yeah, but it had a nationwide release. I mean, it was a it was a major release and everything, and and it was surprising that I I found it was a little surprising that more people didn't go to see it. But and that's the thing is, you, like you were saying, the people with the money are the ones that ultimately decide what pl- you know what plays um, and what gets marketed and all that. And they stuff know because, who's buying tickets, especially if you buy them online. They know exactly yep. who's buying tickets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm struggling to think, actually, in 2017, just how many films did have female leads. I mean, let's go through them. Let's not like go through Girls them. Trip. I mean... Yeah, okay. Girls <laughs> Trip. Mudbound had female leads, if you want to look at that, maybe. Um, and a you know female director. Come on, guys. Let's do this. <laughs> we could do this. Mark. I mean, Florida, <laughs> the on. Florida Project. You know, the Florida Project, I consider the mom a lead. Maybe, okay. maybe not. Maybe, maybe but, she's more supporting. But, um, but Mudbound and Florida Projects are indie films. What about? Just, oh, true. Oh, yeah, it's true. Mm. So we're trying. We're talking about you know trying to focus on Hollywood for the most part because that's where the. So let's see, 2017 top grossing movies. Now I'm going to go through these with you. So, are you ready? Yes. So, we had the latest um, four movie. Now, that obviously did have a strong female character with uh, the uh, Valkyrie female character, but she's not the main lead. We had Justice League. It was probably more Superman, Batman. Yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It... Now, it was, again, has a, a strong female character, but... She's outshined by Donald Trump in that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. I forgot that that franchise didn't die yet. Wonder Woman. Well, there we go. There's one. Uh, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Now I suppose uh, Gamora is it Gamora? Don Quixote. She's kind of a strong character, but she's not the lead. Spider-Man: Homecoming. Hint: no. The clues in the title. <laughs> <laughs> Despicable Me Three. Mm, uh, Steve Carell is the main 
top billing for that film, so... Yeah. Oh, gosh, I forgot this came out last year. This is a shock for you. The Fate of the Furious. You're depressing me. <laughs> yeah. This is, oh, okay. This is rough. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. It's it's okay. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> so two. <laughs> two out of those top ten. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just gonna take a take a few moments. <laughs> you stop it. <laughs> so, and and as Steve was saying, we've just come back. Uh, we've just finished Rewind 1983, and um, your podcasts when you were discussing um, 1983, you brought up the fact that there were quite a few um, strong female leads in, in a lot of films that I didn't re- even realize. Yeah, there seemed to be more, even though at the time we thought there weren't quite enough female leads, I remember back then, uh, but compared to now, it's uh, it seems we're, we're sinking further and further into the trench. Do, do, how do you guys feel about this year so far? Um, I'm, I'm feeling like there, it's definitely less, not as good as last year, but maybe the second half of this year will surprise me, so... So far, there's only about seven or eight titles that I can even put on, like, the best of for me so far this year. So we'll, uh, right, we'll yeah. see. And how many of those have um, their central leads um, who are female? Um, all, maybe... of, all of them, Rob, is the right answer. <laughs> two? Two of them? A quiet, a, a quiet Place and Thoroughbreds, I think? Yeah, and that, that's, I was, I was going to bring up um, Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place. I think that she just... Obviously, it was that that film was directed by you know her husband, but you know uh, she's a how do I put this nicely? She's probably a way better actress than, or an actor than he is. <laughs> um, and you know she had a lot of influence, and I mean some of the scenes in that movie are just are just gut wrenching, and and mm-hmm. you know the end of it is very very empowering on her part. Well, yeah. um, I suppose that. The- that the reason that film does well is because she is a mother and it, it's a story about fighting for su- survival which i guess a lot of people can uh connect with as well and, yeah. you know it's a it's a story which is yes it has been repeated many times but still is quite there's nothing more it's primal i would say yes. it's a natural right absolutely and they had just had a kid, too, I think, right before the film started. Wow, talk about method acting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she she just, you know, um, so the, and it's, it's not your standard, uh, uh, you know, dead teenager horror movie. It's it's about a family, you know, trying to survive and very, you know, I think it's one of the better horror movies I've seen in a long time. But she, because of her acting, it's just propelled even higher, I believe. Well, I would say horror is a good way, uh, is a good genre for us to get these strong female roles. I mean, I've just watched Hereditary, and I do have some issues with it, but I do feel, what's the leading actress's name called? Tony Collette. Tony yeah. Collette, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do feel her character was very interesting, very... Uh, I really was quite impressed with her performance, and her character was quite well developed I felt. A lot of horror films do do that. They do have strong female leads. And that is a huge change from the past. That is 
probably the only spot where the barometer has flipped because it used to be that it was always the damsel in distress that would be running from the monster and mm-hmm. break a heel and you know <laughs> scream scream queen right yeah. right yeah yeah or you're sitting there saying don't open that door or don't go upstairs she goes right. upstairs yeah, yeah. Well, that but, makes me think of the scary movie sort of thing oh god oh god <laughs> where she has like the weapons list on the table and she picks up the banana or something to defend herself yeah. with the collars in the house yeah yes <laughs> i i don't know if this is like but even those the cheesy, uh, you know, Friday the Thirteenth films, they'll usually end with the woman killing him. <laughs> I well, don't know if that's a good. Well, yes, I, I mean, there's been a lot of research into the final girl. Uh, yeah. Because though the issue is that the final final girl is usually um, a virgin uh, and mm-hmm. is very pure uh, and innocent uh, and standing for moral values. Although, Morality tale, yeah. So we've gone back to the Aztec days then. <laughs> well, I do feel that that has been changing slightly if we look at something like It Follows or Your Next, you know, which yeah. will play on the, the idea of the final girl, but flesh her character out a bit. I do want to say that one of the best films of the year, in my opinion, has been directed by a woman, uh, Lynn Ramsey, for You Were Never Really Here. Um, I just right. thought it, that movie was shot so in such an interesting way that I, I just, you know, it's so specific and it's so, um, it's, uh, it's almost so individualistic that it's, it's, uh, this sort of great vision. She's one of the best directors around male or female. Well, we need to talk about Kevin is a very good film I recommend. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that is, uh, deals with the idea of motherhood in a, in a way that is interesting because the the mother doesn't necessarily can't necessarily bond with her her son and that obviously has a a backfire effect Mm -hmm. to it and yeah when you talk about strong female performances tilda swinton is right up there right now yeah every single role well she's going to be in the uh, suspiria remake it's coming out in november so i'm looking forward to that uh yeah see that's something that we've got to look forward to. And that Hey, Dakota Johnson can finally, you know, finally gets to act <laughs> and yes. not be in a Fifty Shades movie. So there you go. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about female empowerment. Those movies are just the, the best example, right? Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> it's basically it's, <laughs> it's basically the story of Beauty and the Beast, but with more sort of whips and chains. <laughs> um, so what what do we think? Can, can fix this issue in terms of uh, helping improve the situation for women in Hollywood. Um, taking more chances on you know female writers and directors because that's going to be that's those are the stories that sort of need to be told from that from their perspective. Uh, what about but I'm sure the writers are writing, but the producers are not buying. Well, I tell you what, um, just to quickly. Um, plug a film which I really enjoyed which had a strong mm-hmm. female role, uh, Marjorie Prime which starred John Hamm uh, but was also had Gina Davis in uh, and that's a great film and deals with the topic of dementia but uh, it's about a, a woman remembering her, her husband who is uh, 
played by John Hamm, but is like a, a robot version of him when he was young in order to help her um, keep recover her memories. And again, that was a refreshing um, a film which felt very original. It wasn't uh, a huge budget. It had two, actually, um, three female leads which were very strong uh, and very interesting, very, very well developed and, and um, characters who were out were actually over the age twenty, which was which was nice. <laughs> um, what about you, Mark? What do you think can uh, be done to to help Hollywood? You have to change the culture of what people expect to see, and money might be an issue. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I read like a film book. Um, that says that, like, I guess no no major picture usually makes their money in the box office, or at least recoups it. Mm. Yeah. In the box office, they makes it, you know, through sales, DVD sales, rentals, merchandising, etc. Distribution, yeah. Happy yeah. meals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, it, you know, and also, I, I, you know, I guess, like, the theater itself gets, like, 80% or something for, like, the opening weekend, and they get, like, 10 to 15% after that, which is why they have to charge such a astronomical price for their drinks and everything um, mm-hmm. just to yep. make ends meet but so money I think is going to play uh, part of a role but I just hope the culture is going to continue to change it in so much as where it's not going to become a, a bizarre or statement making thing to have a, a you know a, a female director or an all female cast or powerful female leads you know because I think, I think right now you're in this power dynamic thing where you got all the white Hollywood, the, the majority clinging on for dear life to no old way, old way. And then this, all this new stuff happening and it's a lot of very good new stuff that we just, I don't know, maybe, maybe people like us and uh, professional female critics pr- promoting this stuff will just continue to change this culture until it becomes normative. Wait, don't you think the culture is partially being created by the marketing? They're telling us what we want. That's how they. That's how they've sold uh, everything from hamburgers to uh, shoes. Yeah, that's true. You like the movie going cultures, it's a hybrid. It's something. Okay, this is what's coming this summer. Everybody get excited, yay! And yet, there's nothing list <laughs> that, that has more than two dimensions. And you have no style or sense of fashion. Well, um, I think that depends on what you're... No, no. That wasn't a question. Yeah, you're right. The, the biggest build things are still being pushed to you, and this is this is great, and, and this is whatever. And, and that's because those products are marketable. You can get a Happy Meal out of it. You can get uh, any number of uh, marketing tools and toys and... You, I wouldn't want action figures from Sophie's Choice. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to sell toys of doubt? You know, <laughs> actually, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> we're, maybe we're on the verge of another of another renaissance, like the seventies, when six Hollywood was churning out all this uh, widescreen yeah. crap musical stuff, and. Uh, the political situation was dicey at the time also, and all of a sudden all these artists sprouted up everywhere. Yep, yep. So we may be heading, it may be cyclical. Mm. Well, they do well, say history repeats itself. I feel like we are beginning to see 
uh, a cooling off period with the you know with the the superhero um, genre I do feel that people are getting a bit bored of it we've had some major flops recently we've had you know films that uh, you know take for example the Han Solo movie right did not do quite so well um, and also I do feel that perhaps maybe we will have a, a shift in, in film criticism uh, and perhaps maybe the, the film critic will be sort of uh, more revered, I guess, become more of a, a, a part of culture again. I do feel like it has shifted to everybody's talking all at once and, you know, not I listening. think it's the that. Hey, Bianca, unfortunately. Because mm. everybody has public access now. Uh, yeah. You yeah. can't just tell everybody to shut up. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. You've, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's fine. Go uh, I was just going to say, yeah, no, you don't. That's I think that's the problem. You bring up an interesting point. So, yeah, film criticism, everybody can have a blog. I mean, we both obviously have blogs, and, you know, we don't get paid for it, I don't think. <laughs> um, it, it's... Uh, not not even centering on female film critics, but film critics in general today, a lot of them do not focus on, you know, cinematography or filmmaking. It's just about actors and. I was gonna say that, like, to to expect that, um, you know, just to hire more female cinematographers working in those big studio movies, you know, like the Marvel movies. I mean, it's not like they have autonomy to decide how to shoot, you know, the female characters. That those decisions are are like. Uh, they come to by like the studio and so like it's so such a controlled environment that i think that you know that while that's it's a good idea it's i i feel like being in that corporate structure it's always sort of going to be like what the lowest common denominator kind of like hey this is what we're appealing to well is this inclusion clause that everybody was talking about in the spring is that going to become a real thing or was it just a pipe dream I think it was a pipe dream, but you know, I haven't seen anything sort of come come up about I've it seen again. The name saying that they were going to do it. Now, whether they've done it, I don't know, and whether anybody else is doing it, I don't know either. Yeah. From, from her mediocre early work in the Deer Hunter and Out of Africa, to her underwhelming performances in Kramer versus Kramer and Sophie's Choice, Meryl Streep has phoned it in for more than 50 films. Over the course of her lackluster career. Meryl, stand up if you would. Everybody, please join me in giving Meryl Streep a totally undeserved round of applause, will you? Yeah. 